Hi, and welcome to the Our Small Stories podcast. I'm Kaylee Goslin, and I'm so excited you're here. Every week we get to sit down with everyday women and celebrate how our small stories play a part in God's masterful narrative. So in whatever season of life you find yourself, join us as we take time to look back and trace God's faithfulness in the Word and in life. I am so excited for this debut episode of the Our Small Stories podcast, and especially for you to hear from our guest, Gail McDonald. Gail draws from a lifetime of ministry experience serving alongside her husband of 55 years, and she is passionate about discipling and encouraging Christian women. My relationship with Gail began three years ago through Denver Seminary, and since then she has been such a presence of Christ to me. So I'm thrilled that you all will get to hear her heart, her wisdom, and how God has been faithful through her own life. This woman is the real deal. You'll hear it the first time she speaks. Her love is the fruit of countless hours spent with Jesus. Gail's whole life points to the story of God, which is why it's so fitting that she can be the first one to share her story with us on the Our Small Stories podcast. So let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Gail. At first, just tell us a little bit about yourself. I laugh because we're the same Myers-Briggs. Yes, <laughs> we are. We are. And so we are both ESFJs. Um, tell us a little bit about you. Any, I guess, what does it mean for you to be an ESFJ? Well, I love being an ESFJ because it is a serving temperament and Helping and lifting people up is what I'm all about, and I love it because it goes along with my spiritual gifts. My, uh, I think I was born to help people across the street, even if they didn't want me to. I was ready to do it, <laughs> and so I I love it because it uh, it makes me able to initiate with people. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband's a, an introvert, and it took him years to initiate, and. Now, of course, he acts like an, an extra. He's living yeah. with me for 55 years. <laughs> it rubs Aww. off. But uh, I have learned more from him than can imagine how important it is to be an introvert, too. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, that's wonderful. Tell us a little about your family. I guess you're going to get into a bird's eye view, but what's your family look like right now? Well, um, I was not brought up in a Christ-following family, mm-hmm. uh, but we went to church. And uh, in my 16th year, I had a date with a young man. First place he took me was to a teenage prayer meeting. Really? I had never seen adults <laughs> on their knees, let alone teenagers. And that hmm. meeting changed my life. And it was an amazing thing from then on. Um, took me five years to get through my college experience. And uh, in the middle of that, I had a broken engagement, which was one of those times that pushed me rather toward God than man, mm-hmm. that I was I aligned my emotions and my life too much with a man. And so I spent a whole year in, in a rather hidden way working in a business so that I could grow in Christ alone mm-hmm. without that man at my side. I tripped my husband about three years later as we were finishing Denver uh, Seminary and University of Denver. And uh, within three weeks, we were engaged. And we were married four months later. And that's 55 years ago. Wow. So we have had two children. Mm-hmm. And our daughter is 
50 this, just this year, and our son is 53. And we have five wonderful grandchildren that almost are out of college. So that gives you an idea wow. of, in all of those years, we have had four churches. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, Gordon was president of university. Yeah, yeah. no big deal. Um, I have on here, I'm curious to know what your guilty pleasure is. Do you have any guilty pleasures? I didn't send you that one. That's just in my intro. <laughs> oh, my. I don't, I don't know that I do, except I, I like almond butter. <laughs> <laughs> You're so cute. <laughs> I didn't know that about you. I have some in the cupboard. <laughs> we could be eating almond butter right now. Oh, oh that's great. Okay. Um, so through these four churches, uh, do you want to just tell us a little bit about maybe each of those churches or... I mean, could you pick a lesson from each church? You've written about each one so much. Yes. Um, thankfully, each one of the churches were dramatically different. We began way out in the country. Um, we had, on a good Sunday, 50 people. Mm-hmm. And because it was a country road, we could literally watch all of our people coming for the dust in the, uh, on the road. <laughs> like a movie. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was a farming community. And they helped us make a lot of mistakes and were very forgiving, mm-hmm. and we needed them. And yeah. I learned there that I needed to ask the question, what does this culture need from me, not mm-hmm. how do I want to give to this culture? For instance, we were in seminary at the time here in Denver, and just 170 miles away from here. If I had come with my skirt just a little above my knee, I would have been in trouble because the people we were serving there didn't think that was appropriate for a pastor's wife. And so I had to ask those kinds of questions. So each person who does any kind of ministry has to ask, not what do I want to give to these people, but what do these people, how can they hear me? How can they relate to me? That was a very important gift they gave to us and Mm -hmm. received us well. Second Church was uh, in St. Louis area, Mm -hmm. and it was uh, more of a blue-collar situation. And there we had to learn how to make people love again. Hmm. It was a broken church. The pastor had left there in a very bad state. And um, people had never even been invited into the pastor's home for all the years he'd been there. So we began to bring them together in groups of 30 people in our home for for fondue parties for 10, ten weeks so we had the whole church yeah. in our home. Oh, wow. We forced them to eat together with that fondue fork in their face and, and it changed all of them. So that was learning how to love. Our third church was Lexington, Massachusetts where we were for 12 and a half years and that was an up-and-coming um, avant-garde, very, um, a lot of the people there are in oh, have had their doctorates and are mm-hmm. much more uh, white-collar church. And what we learned there was the importance of receiving what God has already done and loving what's there and building mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. And it was the first church we had where there was no big problems in it, and so mm-hmm. it just could take off and grow like crazy. Mm-hmm. Our, uh, our final church was New York City. Uh, we were two years Um, in sort of a hidden place in our lives. And when we came out of that, um, we went to New York City to be at a church that nobody wanted to go to. 
And we felt that was a good place for us. And it was a dying church. And four years later, it was very much alive. Wow. And the, the meaning there is that broken people can be remade. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the, we can love no matter what's happened in our lives. And we can receive people with unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And so our final church, we returned to Grace Chapel eight years later and yeah. with another, eight, another six years there. So, in Massachusetts. In Massachusetts. So it's very rare to be invited back to a church after you've been there once. But. Well, not for you guys. Uh, <laughs> no, that makes absolute sense. Thank you. Um, what is it that you love most then after those four churches and being at InterVarsity and, and now doing traveling that you're doing, meeting with young women? What is it out of all of that that you love most about where God has you now? Well, we love what we do now because we can do it all the time, and that is what we we wish we had done more of when we were at the churches, and that is building in the lives of younger people, mm-hmm. and even cross gener- getting the generations to cross and having intense times like you and I have had, rather than blitzing, we right. like to have the same experience with a few people uh, in a year and be able to sense that they're their discipling is dif- different as a result of our being here. We love it. And, and so we do that wherever we are. Um, in several of the places we go today, we've been there, coming there every year for 15 years. Yeah. Um, so people like you get us up in the morning. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <laughs> no. Oh, man. Love it. No, that's, Life is an that's adventure, huge. for sure. So... As we've been able to meet and as I've read your story and some of what you've written, um, it's amazing to see how God has empowered you. And I only say that because I know that's how he would say it. Mm-hmm. Um, but so many of us would see you and, and think, gosh, what a strong woman of God. And so I guess one of my questions is, uh, as I've talked with some of my friends and um, people in similar situations who are in moments of suffering and asking questions and doubting. Um, my wonder is, was doubt ever a part of your story? Um, how did you, I guess, deal with that? Or even in moments of suffering, how did you deal with those calamities? Hmm. I can't say that I ever went through um, a depression and doubting. Uh, I can't say that I ever had a deep-seated doubt. Hmm. I have gone through times of suffering where I was pushed to the Lord, where things didn't make sense. But I think our theology, Gordon's and mine, is one of being okay with mystery, mm-hmm. and that people who feel that God owes them something have missed something, because he's, he's the Lord, and I'm his child. I am not in charge. And for our long-term good, I've learned in these 77 years, he is working that out. My job is to follow him and to see all of life as on loan. My children are on loan. My husband is on loan. My home is on loan. So that when we left our homes in each of these places, I never looked back because I never saw them as something. It was mine. It was something God said, for this period, this is yours. Move on. So when we've gone through times when, of loss or disappointment in people, our response has been, you have something deep to teach us here. So I'm going to go to the scriptures, and I'm going to help teach this portion of scripture to other people for me. Mm-hmm. Because I know I need it now, and out of a broken heart, I'll be able to 
really speak into their lives rather than coming as, with somebody who knows everything. Yeah, and you just said that earlier as, as we were talking, mm-hmm. being reminded of Matthew 4 and Jesus' temptation yes. and seeing how Jesus himself uses Scripture and, and being reminded today that, gosh, if that's what Jesus did, like that's where I need to live, that's yes. where I need to be. Yes. And, and yeah, they're just so all of you know, there's always or there's never a moment where Gail isn't ready with the scripture and she'll come to all of our meetings just, this is on my heart. I want to share this with you. Uh, and it's not just epistles. She's gone all the way to Old Testament prophets and yeah. whatever it is in that moment. It's an exciting life. And when it becomes uh, boring or dull, uh, we're not living on the edge. We're, mm-hmm. we're, uh, we've let it get stale. And it's usually we who have moved, not God. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So a lot of what you've written about is about um, being a young mother and a ministry wife. And Mm -hmm. um, in that phase, I guess, as a lot of, you know, people listening to this are in similar phases. Um, What is it that you see as some of the biggest problems facing young Christian women and wives and mothers today? Mm -hmm. And what would be some words of advice about how we could rise up? Well, I think there's. this is a very difficult age to live in, much more difficult than when Gordon and I were starting out. And so you have to always remind yourself that uh, there is an enemy. And while we don't emphasize the enemy so much that we lose the power of God, we have to remember that he is at, going after people who are intensely committed to him. Mm-hmm. The enemy always wants to find places that he can trip us up. And for those of us like myself and my husband, uh, we have temperamentally, we're people pleasers. You are too. Yeah. <laughs> and you, uh, the good news is that makes you really a great lover of people. The bad news is that you haven't learned to have margins and boundaries in your life. And I've had to learn that the hard way. I've had to remember that no is a complete sentence. And saying no sometimes is better for the other person, too, um, because I probably should have been in a quiet place or Mm. listening to God instead of talking to someone else and listening to them at that moment. So I think the overcrowdedness of the life today, particularly adding to life all of social media and never saying no to social media is a big mistake for people, Mm. particularly who want to be able to hear the voice of God. You can't, God does not allow his voice to be one that's a second voice. He waits until he's the only voice. Mm -hmm. And he usually whispers. So put those things together, and my job is to be in a place where I can hear. And if I can't sit still, and a lot of the people that I work with tell me, I can't sit still (laughs) more than three or four minutes. Mm I need to do, I have a wake-up call. Mm-hmm. Because it may be all right to do that when you're 20s. When the time you're 40, if that's all you've got, right. it, then you're going to be empty. And Is there, as you're talking about listening to this still small voice, I mean, obviously I'm thinking of a certain Old Testament prophet, um, but is there a moment that you can point to, I know this is off the cuff, but is there a moment where you feel like um, God did speak to you in that stillness, in that quiet? Oh, oh, many, many, many times. I, uh, there have been times when I have needed to have a, a peace in my heart because I was going through 
a difficult moment with Gordon or with someone. And I can remember one morning getting up and having my solitude and finding in there all the comfort that I was going to need to stand in front of a group of people who were not friendly. Yeah. And it, I walked in there with uh, standing tall because I had been in the Word for several hours in the morning. Mm-hmm. I was ready. Hmm. And I'll never forget that morning, and there's been many mornings like that throughout my life where I've lived life with open hands, and uh, I think of all the music that I love to listen to that lifts Mm -hmm. me, because I think music, particularly music that has words that honor God, it can take you from a sad place and move you into a place that's able to handle life. And all of us have troubles. Yeah. But he means to take us through them. Mm-hmm. And we can't, we can't avoid them by noise or by going on vacation or by blaming. Right. So that would be my thoughts on that. I hope that women remember that they first go to Christ, and they, if they are married, they go to their spouse, and then if they have children to them, and then they need to have some really good friends. Mm-hmm. And women are not doing that well enough today because they've gone to the marketplace and they say, friends are something I can get rid of. Mm-hmm. Not so. Right. Yeah. So as you've written and I guess just lived this uh, in your years as a mother and now obviously you've, your grandkids are even grown, um, but I know just in what you've shared with me, what are some of those tricks that you have up your sleeve for building intimacy in a marriage, but also optimizing family time? What are some of your favorites that you could just share with us? Well, I think you have to keep home a place of laughter. Hmm. And um, even when I would discipline the children, if they came to breakfast or to to supper with a bad attitude, I would say, whoop, 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 whoop. You want to go out that door, come in again, and try again. And they loved that. And I was, they, because I was <laughs> laughing, they could laugh. Yeah. But if I was cruel and mean and, and didn't like what they were doing, you know, you don't, children don't learn from that. Right. They learn from us getting into the mood. And, you know, they don't think about saying words until you remind them mm-hmm. that attitudes are really important to mom as she cooks. Yeah. Um, I used to like to do silly things with the children. For instance, um, a friend left me her wigs when she died. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, her husband actually gave them to me. She didn't leave them yeah. to me. <laughs> well. And so I said to the kids, let's put the wigs on the next time Dad comes home from work and we'll get behind the doors and jump out on him and scare him to death. <laughs> you know, those kind of things really work. Um, I'm big on surprise nights. Um, mm. Every six weeks, a man and woman ought to surprise each other with something mm-hmm. that's take take away doesn't have to cost money i mean i've taken gordon to the arboretum and with with coca cola and right. that was our that was our surprise and he loved it as long as he had his bifocals he was ready yeah. to go um that's i'll just add my story gail told me this story about surprise nights and and so i went home and i planned my first surprise night with jake and i've told you this before yeah. but so I got a group on for roller skating at a skating rink and surprised Jake. I was like, we're going to do the surprise night. And we drove up to the skating rink, and he just said, I'm not doing that. I'm not skating. <laughs> he Gil, did. 
Gil looks so surprised right now. Literally, so you were the one that was surprised, and, so, and we were. I mean, I knew he probably wouldn't love it, <laughs> but, but literally, I, yeah, I was so sad. We drove home, I think, without speaking. Yes, <laughs> just like, oh, yeah, ah, yeah. So, you want to ask yeah. the question, what would he really like? <laughs> we've, we've learned about surprise yeah. nights since then. I go to movies. And and the, <laughs> the last thing I'll, I'll mention on that is that I have Italy nights on the nights when we're having leftovers, and I turn off all the lights, and we have all candles in the room and they walk in and they say, must be an Italy night. (laughs) And so they're thinking of leftovers as something fun. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I love leftovers. Jake's not a huge fan. Well, it's good with microwaves. If you had to put them on a, uh, the way we used to cook, but microwaves, they they, they taste pretty good. They can can manage. No, that's good. I can light some candles and have an Italy night. (laughs) Um, Just a couple more thoughts. Uh, As I mentioned, when you had come and you know, share whatever God has put on your heart or what the Spirit's been teaching you. So I wonder if there's a particular passage of Scripture that you've been sitting with in the past few weeks. Well, I am uh, sitting with um, Matthew 4, uh, working on the temptations of Jesus, recognizing that what a blow it must have been for our Lord to just be affirmed. And he must have been on a high that night when he went to, uh, to sleep on his mat um, and then the next day to be taken t- by God to the temptation mm-hmm. and left there for 40 days and 40 nights. And what kind of preparation did that take in all of the years? He was hidden away, and he didn't have to perform, but now he did. Yeah. And I find that the fact that he, whenever he was confronted by Satan, he went straight to Scripture. He didn't use long scriptures. He uses Moses' words, which says another important thing to me, that whenever we study Moses, we've, we've got another picture of mm-hmm. who Jesus sees. He's the new Moses. And uh, he often quoted Moses and Isaiah. And so I often love going back into Deuteronomy and in Exodus and looking at what this man Moses meant yeah. to God the Father. Uh, there's so much scripture, and usually when he gives us an idea about some scripture to study, it's going to show up needed. Hmm. So I'm waiting for the temptations to come. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're just speaking it into my life so that it would be there for me. Oh, dear. That's beautiful. No, I've loved it. I've gotten to hear some of your heart and from your study on when you were studying the generations to... Mentorship and all the time. Yes. Um, people have been mentored in the Bible in those relationships, whether it be Ruth and Naomi or Paul mm-hmm. and Timothy. Yes. Um, just some beautiful things that God's teaching you, and so I'm grateful to be able to learn from that. Um, I guess the last question is just you are so well-read and always coming with a quote or a story. Mm-hmm. I know you love Amy Carmichael and Elizabeth Elliot and... Um, so what would be maybe one or two books that you would want every woman out there to read? Yeah, I, it, I find it so hard to come up with one. And it depends on where people are in their lives. Yeah. Um, because I, I do have to say that if you haven't been mentored by a person that's alive, not to worry. Because there's so many <laughs> wonderful books uh, from the 17th, 18th, 19th century mm-hmm. that are full of things that we need in this century to understand. Mm-hmm. And most of it has to do with enduring. Yeah. 
enduring and persevering in hard times and not thinking that God owes you anything. And, uh, and so uh, I think that one of my favorite books is, is called um, Marriage to a Difficult Man. <laughs> And it's a horrible title for a very wonderful <laughs> book, but it's, it's a book about Sarah and Jonathan Edwards, who had eight children. They were such an incredible couple and such an incredible model for parenting that 125 years after they are gone, all of the people who were left in their family from, from their ancestry came back to their place where they had their ministry and talked about what was it that made this couple such a rare commodity that all of us love Christ hmm. 125 years later? There was only one renegade in the family. And uh, so I have, over the years, returned to that book, Marriage f- f- to a Difficult Man. And you can only get it uh, used. Right. And, uh, and then uh, I suppose my uh, other thought is, is, is a, written by a man, and that is, the, by the way, the other book was written by Elizabeth Dodds and uh, by Westminster Press. Okay. But E. Stanley Jones wrote a book when he was 84 that has been pr- profoundly moving, transforming in my life. He wrote it at, right after he had a stroke. It's called hmm. The Divine Yes, because my life verse is all things are yes in Christ that if I can turn every no into a yes so that God can use it in my future, I learned a lot of that from E. Stanley Jones, the mm-hmm. divine yes. And when he got up from his stroke, he couldn't even mumble. He couldn't move, and he was alone. And all he could do was raise oh, three wow. fingers and said to inside of himself, Jesus is Lord, and that's all I need. They told him he'd never walk again. They told him he would never go back to India, where he served for over 60 years. They told him all the things he couldn't do, and he showed them he could do them. And the book is a masterpiece. It's short for young people today, <laughs> The Divine Yes, E. Stanley Jones. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. What about yours and Gordon's? What would be the one you'd want them to read? Well, um, I think... If you've never read Gordon, you need to start with Ordering Your Private World yeah. or The Resilient Life. If you're over 45, you want to go with uh, The Resilient Life, which is for mm-hmm. people who have a chance to live the next 45 to 50 life mm-hmm. years of life better than the first. Mm-hmm. And uh, But Ordering Your Private World is, is Gordon's bestseller and still is after over 35 years. So it's it's one of the first books you want to read. And in my, my book... Is uh, high call high privilege, and Incredible. it's it's really the story. <laughs> it is it is literally her her life story, her heart for ministry, her heart for her family, and it just encouraged me so much. Yeah, but times. it's also got all my my mistakes and, and it, errors and, and, she, and sins. She in it. is honest. Yes, um, but so endearing too. You just want to give her a big hug. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I rewrote it after twenty years because mm-hmm. I wanted all of my faults to be there, and it wasn't it wasn't truly honest to not have them all there. Yeah. And I think we don't help people if we don't show them our 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 side that needs help. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what. And that's our intent with sharing our small stories and yes. allowing God to be perfect in our weakness. And yes, and I'm so proud work. of you as you graduate. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah I'm graduating spent, on Saturday. And this has been a wonderful three years I've spent with you, oh, Kaylee. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, Gail. This is a great, 
Great finish. I'm so excited. (laughs) I am so thankful for this woman and her excitement to share her experiences and wisdom with us. I still can't get over that her guilty pleasure is almond butter. She's so cute. (laughs) Oh, man. But I wish we had had the time and that I had had the podcasting experience to ask her to elaborate on pieces of her story. Know that she has included them in her books. So if you yourself are in ministry or if you're married to a man who is, I especially hope that you'll take her up on the chance to read more of her journey in High Call, High Privilege, especially now that you have heard her voice, gotten to know her heart, reading her authentic story of redemption that she experiences in her ministry as a wife and as a mother will move you deeply. So regarding the podcast, if you do have comments or questions, visit this episode's show notes on the Our Small Stories website at OurSmallStories.com slash podcast slash episode one. That's the number one, OurSmallStories.com slash podcast slash episode one. It's there that we will post all of the resources that Gail mentions in our conversation, as well as some of her memorable quotes and encouragement that you can post on social media. So lastly, we've got more great interviews coming up. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on our website to continue tracing God's faithfulness in our small stories. We'll see you soon.